Say hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Um, yeah, and on that note, on that cheery note from everyone, um, today, tonight, we're talking about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So we're following on with our Harry Potter fest, um, going to the next film in the Harry Potter series, uh, Chamber of Secrets. So um, this is going to be a full spoilers po- podcast. I mean, this is a pretty old film, but we're kind of revisiting nostalgic classics here so um so yeah harry potter and the chamber of secrets um the second film in this whole series of films um i mean ostensibly it's about the opening of the chamber of secrets like at hogwarts in year two of harry's time at hogwarts this thing called the chamber of secrets has opened it's turning like there's some creature that's been in the chamber of secrets and it's going around turning various students into stone well well, not stone as in they're petrifying them they're not physically turning into stone but they're sort of petrified i guess um and yeah and so the film is ostensibly about um the mystery of the chamber of secrets like you know where is the chamber of secrets what is going on why has the chamber of secrets opened up um, so yeah, like uh, at first glance for me, like I, I kind of felt like this was, this was a longer film than I remembered. Like at the end of the day, I think all of these Harry Potter films do clock in quite, most of them clock in over two hours, definitely. Right. I think this film clocked in at over two and a half hours, which in my books is quite a long film. Um, yeah, but I have to say, I, this cha- the Chamber of Secrets was a film that I didn't really have strong memories of, right? So, uh, you know, like, I think some of the other Harry Potter films, I, pr- I probably had um, a stronger recollection. And Chamber of Secrets was probably, like, one of the sort of less memorable Harry Potter films for me. But on rewatching, I actually felt like this was a much more sophisticated film than I initially remembered. And I also actually thought that... Um, like it's it's rewatching this film really made me realize how um, this series of films and the books that J.K. Rowling wrote. Um, there is like as the books progress, there is this very gradual slope of maturity. They get more and more mature each with each year, right? The themes that get introduced become more and more adult in inverted commas with each passing year and yeah I definitely like this was still in my mind still very much a kids film but definitely the themes that were introduced the things that were discussed um, the story was just a little bit more um, mature a little bit more sophisticated than Philosopher's Stone right and it really made me appreciate the way these books are structured and the way, well, the way the films and the books are structured and how it really caters towards kids who kind of are going on that journey with the books, right? So anyway, look, I, I've got other things to say, but before um, I keep going, um, I'm going to throw it out around the table. What what were people's thoughts on this rewatching of Chamber of Secrets? Who, who'd like to go first? Mags, Anja, who, who wants Maggie? to shoot? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. 
Um, I definitely agree with everything that you said, Darren. Um, a, a few points from me. I think with this book, we see that maturation of the um, the story, the world, the characters, and also the actors, um, both physically but also in their comfort with one another, the d- dynamics between the different actors and, and their relationships. Um, we get introduced to a more complex world, the kind of social structures, the prejudices, and almost the caste system that exists in the wizarding world, which is really interesting. And we start to see it more for... Um, the reality that exists in ha- the Harry Potter world, which is um, at, at that next step, I think. And then they start to also introduce some concepts um, that are unpacked throughout the rest of the the movies and the books. We also have a sort of deepening of a number of themes. Um, the one that stands out for me in this um, in this movie, which is unpacked a bit further as um, the series progresses is the theme of belonging, of family and friendship, which I think is really um, quite a um, beautiful part of the Harry Potter world. Um, and we also get to start to understand the values in my mind that underpin J.K. Rowling's view, her sensibility. So, for example, loyalty, of friendship, of treating others as you wish to be treated as well. Um, and we also get from a character perspective, um, we are introduced in this um, movie to Voldemort's backstory or to Tom Riddle. We learn that he's half muggle and we also learn the basis for his drive to be the greatest duck wizard of all time. And then we get um, introduced to that um, suggestion that there are similarities between Harry and Voldemort, like their ability to speak parcel tongue, um, which is also one of those... Um, ideas that's planted in this movie and then is explored throughout the other the rest of the series so it's actually um at first i thought chamber of secrets it kind of feels like um uh this one in the philosopher's stone were almost a set um more like children's fairy tales but actually i think it's almost like um the seeding ground for the rest of the series Mm. yeah i'd agree with that yeah definitely um, Angela? Um, loved it. I actually think these movies get better every on every single rewatch. I don't know how it's possible. Like, I just notice more and just enjoy it more on every rewatch. I just love the, like, creativity and imagination that has gone into continuing to build this world. Like, having built it so well in the first movie, it's not like she stopped there and rested on her laurels like it just continues to build like cool things like the howler that like the male that turns mm. up and yells out from your parents from afar in, in boarding school um just ah oh, like the fact that in hogwarts there are just secret rooms everywhere like i love that idea you know because everyone loves one good old secret room that you've got to find a secret passageway the hogwarts has got like gazillions of them it's <laughs> I love it. I loved the, the bathroom and all the mythology around Moaning Myrtle, which gets seeded 
in this movie and, you know, further developed, um, you know, later on too. I love the idea of the books that have a life of their own and can, you know, and again, that's also developed in um, future movies with different types of books, like monster books. And um, But in this one, you know, the, the journal that sort of absorbs the ink and can carry the memory of a, of a, of a wizard, like, it is just so rich in imagination and creativity, and I absolutely loved it. Um, this movie also continued to build on the beautiful relationships between all the characters. Obviously, the three friends, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, but everyone else as well. You know, Harry and Dumbledore, um, you know, the, the antagonistic relationships between Snape and everyone and, and um, uh, Ma- Malfoy and everyone, Malfoy's dad. Like, it just really builds, which is fantastic. Um, you know, it is a really long movie, but I guess it packs a lot in. Like, it develops everything, the world, the relationships. Um, it, this movie's got my favourite scene of the entire uh, series, which is where Snape and Gilderoy have a duel. <laughs> I've seen so much. (laughs) I just think Gilderoy is so ridiculous. He just cracks me up and, you know, I love Snape and I just love watching that, you know, that duel between them. It's, it's, I love it every single time. Um, This movie was the first time when I went, uh uh-oh. And that was when, um, in terms of the poor choice that uh, the author made of making the love interest Ron and Hermione as opposed to Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I, I go, uh uh-oh, every time I watch this scene. It's when Harry and Hermione meet for the first time in this movie and she runs to him and the look on her face and the look on his face and it's like, oh, my God, they are children, but I think that's chemistry. And (laughs) it's like, (laughs) you know, and that just continues to build from this moment on and just really signals just what a, what a you know unfortunate choice it was that she made Ron and Hermione the principal pronouns. Can, um, can I just add to that, um, yeah. manager? So, um, so I think at the end of this film, like there's a scene when Hermione wakes up from being petrified, yeah. and they're in the Great Hall and having. Yeah dinner right and then she appears for the first time after and then she rushes to harry and hugs him and there's this like (laughs) i don't know there's this authenticity to it that makes it really work and then when she like there's you know the way and then afterwards they play it that she and ron kind of shake hands or whatever yeah for me it's like that's actually endemic for the rest of the series because emma watson and dad radcliffe as kids just feel like amazing <laughs> partners, right? And Ron kind of is just standing there. It's like, yeah, like, I know you're supposed to end up with her, but even now, it's just weird. Like, that scene in particular really stood out for me. Because Ron and Hermione, like, it's meant to be one of those love-hate, like, you know, a relationship that grows from, not hate, but, you know, dislike and yeah. not getting along to grows into love. But it really kind of stays at that awkward not really getting along the whole time. It just never really morphs out of that. Whereas Harry and Hermione from this movie, if not the, if not the uh, the first movie have just this warmth and this like excitement around each other and respect, mutual respect for each other. Um, that, you know, in my eyes makes for a pretty good relationship. (laughs) So anyway, anyway, what can you do? Um, (laughs) the final thing I wanted to 
say, I think this is the final thing, is um, the one thing that does, does not make sense to me is the way they play the relationship between Dobby and Harry. So in the books, Dobby and Harry have a great bond that grows and you know that is a very strong well-developed relationship so that when Dobby finally dies it's really sad so obviously Dobby is not as well uh, developed in the movies but what I didn't understand is the way Harry treats Dobby is really kind of mean like he's very aggressive around Dobby he's he's shoving him into the closet and slamming the door in his face. He is sort of grabbing him by the shirt and like yanking him there. He's like shoving him by the face to get to the cake. Like it's just a very, he, he, he grabs it. Like it's very strange. And I don't, it's not only strange because that's not the way their relationship is in the books. It's also strange because it's not true to Harry. Like Harry is a gentle soul. Um, I don't understand why he treats Dobby like dirt, especially because the whole point is that everyone treats, like like Dobby's wizarding family treats him like dirt. Harry's meant to be better than that, mm. but he actually often treats Dobby like dirt, and I just didn't understand that. Like, I get that Dobby is frustrating, um, but, you know, I, it's just, it was strange. The way they play that whole thing out, and every time I watch the movie, it becomes increasingly stranger to me. But, you know, that aside, I love this movie. I liked that there was an actual plot. It wasn't just about going through the school term and trying to win house points. Mm. We actually joked about the fact that house points were, like, only mentioned once in the whole movie instead of being the entire backbone that drove <laughs> the plot. Um, it was an actual plot. It was a bit of a murder mystery type plot. Loved it. Um, and it was really interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting that point you raise about Dobby, Anager. Um Because I guess one of the things that I... Because like, Harry treats Dobby roughly, but I guess in this film, Dobby kind of doesn't really pull his punches with Harry either, right? Like, because <laughs> he... Like, he, he does... What does he do? He... He... he he stops him from get going to school completely, right? Yes. And then it, there's something else that happens. Doesn't he do something else to Harry? He, be with, he would be with... Quidditch. He oh, Quidditch. Uh, and then he, he breaks his arm or whatever, right? And the way that scene is played is that it feels pretty life-threatening, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's kind of like neither of them are really treating each other with like kids gloves at all. They're just <laughs> like brawling, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which, yeah, like it does seem odd it does seem odd that they wouldn't write they wouldn't portray that the things that they're doing to together to each other as a little bit more gentle because Um, from Dumbledore Dobby's death is really the only no 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 there's lots actually there's a lot of there's a lot yeah yeah by the end of it they're all they're all impactful in their own ways yeah Yeah. culminating of course in Snape's death which is probably like Meant to be, I think, the most poignant of them all. I think, uh, look, I cried when Snape died. But look, um, they are all poignant. I think Dobby's death is the least impactful, and I blame the way they've played the relationship out. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, okay, here's the thing, right? Like, there are characters that are introduced here. Like, that photographer kid. Um, I, can't, I can't even remember his name. But like... Um, is it Cooley? Is it Cleavy? Cleavy? 
Colin, Colin, Colin Creevy, right? Colin, Colin, Colin dies in the Battle of Hogwarts, doesn't he? And so there are people here that are gradually introduced. And then in the Battle of Hogwarts, there's this massacre of all these characters that you know, like, that like kind of have populated the background as just unassuming, sort of nice, interesting people, right? And like, yeah, anyway, it, it really, anyway, this is... This is why these films work, right? Because they kind of build on each other and all these little characters are in there and they feel lived in and that sort of thing. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, Jerry? Yeah, look, I think this movie in many ways was a big advance on the first one. Visually, um, I think it's a much more beautiful movie. Um, the actual, like, the actual production and design of Hogwarts seems to have been... Um, vastly improved over the first film and you get these sweeping overhead shots of of hogwarts and its various towers and the um the hallways and corridors of of hogwarts take on um an even more intricate gothic quality so um as 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 a visual storytelling experience and as a as a work of production design um this movie um is a big advance in the first one. The special effects are better. The, the Quidditch game, for instance, um, is less rough than the first one. The first one was pretty rough. And this one, particularly as um, Harry and Draco Malfoy um, basically fly through the gutter that, li- that, that's, that sits at the border of the Quidditch field, I mean, that is, that is done um, with quite a deft touch, um, just as a, as a filmmaking, a technical filmmaking um feet so um it, it seemed as if there was a widening of the shoulders um with this movie uh and the, the same creative team christopher columbus returned to direct this um seems to have they seem to have been possibly given a bigger budget and allowed to um roam more freely in exploring the world and it's also good to see that the world is is expanding and we're, we're, we're being introduced to to some of the darker elements of the world not just as Maggie observed, the uh, bigotry and caste system that um, car- that um, you know assigns a uh, position of lesser merit to so-called mudbloods, but we also get introduced, I think, for the first time to the Ministry of Magic mm, and the yes. Ministry of Well, and so this the, this movie seeds um, the idea that there is. A potentially stifling bureaucracy that sits atop what should be um, an enchanted and magical world. I mean, there's one of the funny things about the Harry Potter series, unlike, say, so many other uh, fantasy franchises, is um, magic here isn't just um, a source of wonder or a source necessarily of out and out over threat. There is sitting atop it a stifling almost authoritarian bureaucracy that we'll see more and more of as as these movies progress until we get actually physically to the ministry in order of the phoenix i think um and um, we'll we'll be encountered to the likes of dolores umbridge and so um there's a sense of uh magic being not just not just a source of wonder uh, but also um something that is regulated and capable of stifling um, unique individuals like Harry and his friends. So that 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 is of course a little a little bit down the track, but it's seeded here and we 
kind of see how it is a bit authoritarian and unjust, particularly when Hagrid gets thrown into Azkaban. And on the topic of which, like that, that seems to have been a bit of a throwaway um, plot point in this movie. We we learn eventually that Azkaban's a horrible place, and the fact that one of the most beloved characters spends about a third of the movie there uh, is is kind of like a throw. It, it's kind of it's kind of like this. Well, it is significant, but it's also insignificant because he's there, you never see him, and he comes back, and he's he's kind of the same old Hagrid. He doesn't seem particularly um, tortured, tortured or traumatized by by being in Azkaban prison. So um, that that just struck a bit of bit of an odd note, particularly because we know what's coming in the next movie when we encounter um, Sirius Black and um, the Dementors. Yeah. So can, can I just add to that? So I, I, I know, I, I understand what you're saying, Jazz. I guess the way I kind of saw this was kind of like that they introduced it and they introduced the concept, but it was kind of like it's second year, right? So the way this was kind of written was that you introduce the concept, so it's kind of there conceptually, but you don't kind of fully realize the the actual horror of it, horror of it, right? I mean, yeah. Like, for me, like, like the big Hagrid... Hagrid... Because if you think about it, like, Hagrid's character actually does progress in this film, right? Like, I mean, he is a secondary character, but, like, his character does progress because in the first film, you basically know nothing about him. He's just this big guy who's super friendly, who works at the school, and brings Harry to the world of magic, right? He's the one who says, you're a wizard, Harry, right? Like, so... That, that's basically Hagrid's character. And you know that he's very good-natured, not very good at keeping secrets, right? That's kind of ca- Hagrid's character. But then in this film, it's kind of that sort of... The whole sort of theme of prejudice gets introduced, and you kind of realise that Hagrid is actually an outsider, right? So there's this mm-hmm. level of complexity that gets, it gets introduced to the character, which is this guy who has treated you so well, like, treated Harry so well, right? Harry suddenly realises... Actually, the reason he's at the groundskeeper at Hogwarts is because he's been essentially largely ostracized by the rest of the magical, like, you know, the um, mm. the magical elite or like the, you know, the establishment, the magical establishment. And Dumbledore basically gives him a place to work and a place to hang out and to do what he loves, like looking after animals at Hogwarts. And that's actually something special it's it's not like it's not something that's just normal it's because Dumbledore went out of his way because otherwise like Hagrid is like you know he's he's not he has no position or status really in this magical world so like I, I think they introduced that which I guess is definitely a step up and a level of sophistication that is above what was introduced in Philosopher's Stone I think in the next film like that's yes so he you're right you don't fully see the horror of Azkaban, but for me, I'm kind of like, for me, like, as a series of kids' films that gradually builds up, like, I I was satisfied that this was the right step for the second one, and maybe in the third one that, like, that's when you get into, like, even sort of more adult or darker material. Anyways, Mm. yeah, sorry about that. Um, Look, true, but the fact of the matter is, 
you know, Azkaban's such a such a horrible place, and Hagrid returns relatively intact. And in fact, Hagrid's place in the world, as you say, is is is, in, is interestingly addressed in this movie, and it's kind of odd because to to everyone but Dumbledore, Hagrid is the bloke who opened the Chamber of Secrets and caused, even if inadvertently, Moaning Myrtle's death because he's been framed by mm. Tom Riddle, and somehow. Dumbledore um, has managed to to secure Hagrid a job it is at the school mm. where he supposedly opened the Chamber of Secrets and and caused the death of a girl. So, um, so it, 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 there, there's some element of oddity about about that. Like mm. Dumbledore must be awfully powerful to be able to install Hagrid. In that particular job at that particular school, given what everyone else thinks Hagrid did, and um, and we know that Dumbledore would do that because he he was always suspicious that it was um, Tom Riddle who was behind uh, the opening of the Chamber of Secrets fifty years beforehand. But it's um, it's still it's still slightly odd to think that despite being skeptical of the official story that Hagrid did it, he would go so far as to give Hagrid a place at the school, but that think, probably be, that probably speaks well of Dumbledore. I don't think it was the official story. I think Hagrid was strongly suspected, but maybe not proved. Yeah, the, yeah. I suppose the problem is when the minister turns up at his doorstep, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of heavily implied that the minister very much believes mm. that Hagrid was the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets. And so this having happened again, the minister feels he has no choice but to drag Hagrid off to Azkaban uh, without proof, without trial, and so on. Bearing in mind that we learn in in, in Order of the Phoenix that that as, as as authoritarian as the Ministry is, they do at least give you the pretense of some sort of trial procedure. Whereas Hagrid doesn't even get the benefit of that; he's just carted off to ask. He's waiting, waiting trial. <laughs> so wait, yeah, he, that was the official thing, right? That he was awaiting trial at Azkaban. No, no one basically paid his bail, so he got locked up in Azkaban. So anyway, anyway right. Gerald, Gerald, the thing is, like, it actually, if you think about it, the only reason we thought it was strange that Hagrid came back and was not at all affected by Azkaban is because we had then we had had the benefit of movie oh, three. If you were watching it like chronologically, yeah, and particularly if you've you never did... heard of Azkaban, it seems just perfectly normal true, that he's, true, been, true. he's back now. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so, just, I... a, just a few, a few more throwaway observations, uh, maybe just two. Uh, one. Emma Watson still couldn't act at this point. <laughs> oh, Jerry. Um, she's better. She's better. Give her she's that. Better, but she still couldn't act. Like, she's still a bit a bit too broad and a bit too sort of wooden parts. Um, I mean, uh, and secondly... Um, Are you going to talk about the sword? Yeah. Like, this movie, even more so... Well, this movie, perhaps unique in, in, the, in, the, in the entire franchise, is... Heavily de- dependent upon Deus Ex Machina after Deus Ex Machina. I mean, the bloody sword of Gryffindor, yeah. uh, just turning up in the look. First of all, the Phoenix turning up, and I know they do some work in trying to see that because 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 he's there in Dumbledore's study. But really, I mean, that is that is that is just the most the barest <laughs> genuflection at a setup. 
Uh, and and he and he ultimately plays such a pivotal role, turning up <laughs> in Chamber of Secrets, bringing the Sorting Hat, and the Sorting Hat vomiting out the uh, the sword of Gryffindor. And you're like, come on, come on, man. You know, I was saying to Mags when we were watching this, the Phoenix basically does like ninety percent of the work in that chamber, right? <laughs> like the Phoenix does everything. He comes in, brings the hat, brings the sword. Pecks out the eyes of the um, of the big snake, right? Yeah. But the basilisk, right? Pe- pecks out the eyes, which are the strongest weapon of the basilisk, right? And then when Harry gets wounded by the snake, has to come in, use his tears to save Harry, and then to add insult to injury, the phoenix has to carry all three of them out of the bloody chamber of secrets yeah, exactly. as well. <laughs> Exactly, and and we, we saw a bit of this in in the in the climax of Philosopher's Stone when, uh, first of all, the Philosopher's Stone turns up in Harry's pocket, and secondly, by the sheer power of love, uh, Huey Lewis and New Style, he uh, he kills he he causes Quirrell to to uh, to die a horrible death. Um, th- but this this is even more sort of more of a day more dependent on uh, on the interventions. Of day ex, ex machina, so um, you know it, it, it just it just felt as if the even though there was a even though there was a plot and a sustained mystery throughout this film, <laughs> the, the the climax just felt a bit off, um, and and perhaps with the re, with the rewatch and knowing that this is coming and seeing you, you have a greater appreciation of this sort of. You can see the, the 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 gears turning, trying to generate a way to 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 get Harry out of this very very sticky situation. But at least at this point in time, um, in the in the in the writing career of J.K. Rowling and in the history of these movies, uh, yeah, that 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 sort of Gryffindor thing was just um, eyebrow raising. Can I quickly say, just Gerald and I have been arguing about this like the whole like for, for ages now but um just to defend the show like, if you think about it there's a reason it was done this way right like yes you could have had harry more independently fighting maybe you could have you could have come up with a different solution so if i think about why they did it this way i think what they were trying to do is maintain harry as still very vulnerable you know still very much a boy that can barely defend himself i think they wanted to um just sort of emphasize loyalty and loyalty to Dumbledore and that relationship with Dumbledore. I think they wanted to sort of give that some weight. And I also think that they wanted to address this idea of, yes, Harry has these Slytherin traits, but he is very much a Gryffindor. And so they introduced this idea of uh, kind of like I was saying to Gerald, it's like pulling the sword out of the stone in King Arthur. You've got to be worthy. And so to pull the sword out of the hat, you've only a true Gryffindor, as Dumbledore says, that would be able to do that. So it kind of just solidifies in our mind. He didn't just get into Gryffindor because he asked to be put there. He is like, you know, in his heart, a true Gryffindor. Yeah, but so. but like it's one thing to be able to pull the sword out of the stone. It's another Another thing for the for the stone with the sword in it to turn up just as a, you're about to die uh, from out of nowhere, and that's what happens in that's what I, happens in I the agree. comics. In this I movie. agree. I'm going to stick up for it. Yeah. That, that, that Phoenix deserves overtime, right? Like, that <laughs> Phoenix is putting in work. <laughs> yeah. But I think as well, just to pick up Anna's point, it was something I was reflecting on from the Philosopher's Stone in this movie. At this point in time as well with the story, 
because it's still partially a children's fairy tale, in some ways, I guess they don't want to show the horrors um, so starkly yet. Yes. Because like, at the end of the movie, you would think Harry and Hermione and Ginny in particular and Ron would be deeply scarred by the experiences that they've had, particularly Ginny. But they emerged pretty much unscathed. And it's only in the later stories that you actually start to see um, the the toll that all of these experiences are having on themselves and on their families and the people that they care about. At this point in time, you're almost shielded as almost like you're also the audience are also being shielded from those horrors. Mm. And it's really only the next story where they fully reveal what all those horrors look like. I think it might. In some ways, it feels deliberate by by J.K. Rowling. Yeah, look, I I actually agree with what Max has said there. I, I think, I, I think with hindsight, because we know the full picture, it's kind of like, well, but well, why wouldn't they talk about? It? But I think actually, Max is right there that like there are some very deliberate choices to still keep it very much in the realms of a children's movie dash book, right? Um, and part of that is that you know, yes, not all so. In my look, and this is this is kind of like in my personal, in my head, essentially, right? Um, I kind of view the whole like the whole Deus Ex Machina thing towards the end. Yes, there are a lot of um, Dei Ex Machina, as Gerald said, but um, I kind of view that potentially this is Dumbledore actually doing his job for once, right? So Dumbledore has like sat down with his phoenix and kind of gone, well, you know, this kid is not going to be able to do this, right? So you're going to need to go down there and do all of the heavy lifting here, right? And the phoenix is like, yeah, okay, whatever, right? Like, so I, I kind of, uh, yeah, I feel like there's probably amazing, more... How, ama- how amazing would it have been if they'd actually cut to a scene of Dumbledore sitting down with the phoenix and like going to... <laughs> you will need to do the heavy lifting. But yeah, if if they had that scene, it wouldn't be very heroic, right? Like it wouldn't be very heroic for Harry, right? The funny thing is, yet again, Dumbledore is absent just at the maximum moment of peril. So in the first the first movie, he goes off on a trip to visit what's his name, uh, Fresnel, and in this one, he gets sacked and, and has to take a time out. Yeah, so I like I think this is this is a thing, right? Dumbledore always it's kind of seen that Dumbledore works through his agents, and I guess in this film, one of his agents was the Phoenix, right? But anyway, um, yeah. But look, I, I actually what Mag said there, I, I do actually agree with. I think there are definitely conscious cho- choices to shield us from some of the, um, like the more like sort of dark, depressing things until a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, for me, for me, I think this film, like, I, I actually, on the rewatch of this film, like, this film, I've actually grown to like more on the rewatch, like, much much like Anager. And I think, for me, the reason why I kind of enjoyed it um, so much more this second time was because I, I actually picked up, I felt like I was picking up more um, this time round, right? Like, I think, um, like, so there's this scene in this film right at the end when Dumbledore kind of says to Harry, um, you know, when when Harry basically is um, says to says to Dumbledore, look, I I I wasn't sure, 
I wasn't sure that I, you know, I was a Gryffindor, like I'm because I speak to Tongue, you know, maybe I was a Slytherin, right? And then Dumbledore says something along the lines of, well, um, it's not really your abilities or your at, like your attributes. It's actually about your actions, right? Like what defines you as a person is is kind of what you do, right? Not necessarily what you're born with, right? And I think like I I think that theme is. Um, really, you know, this, co- you know, be judged on the content of your character. I think that's a really, really powerful theme to impart on children. So I, I think that's really great, right? But if you actually think about um, the various components that go up in into making this film, that that theme kind of runs through a lot of the components of this film, right? Where, like, you know, there are many characters in this film who. Um, you know, so, you know, this theme of judging people by their actions rather than their um, their attributes, right? It goes at the heart of pre- prejudice, right? You shouldn't judge people by the way they look or, or you know, what other people have said about them. You, you judge, you, your approach to people should be purely based on your interactions with them. And there are so many characters, on the review, I'm like, yeah, there are actually so many characters that kind of this applies to, right? Like, the most apparent is obviously Gilderoy Lockhart, who is this blowhard, essentially, who has this amazing reputation in the wizarding world. But in reality, his actions actually show that he's, he's nothing. He's like a scam artist, right? Um, you know, other characters like um, Hagrid, whose reputation it's sort of made out in this film is pretty bad in the wizarding world, who is sort of um, framed for a crime that he didn't commit. But because Harry actually has interacted with Hagrid, Harry knows that Hagrid is genuinely a gentle soul who, you know, loves animals, right? And is kind um, to everybody, essentially, right? So, you know, like judging people for the content of their character, right? Um, Yeah, so... And then, you know, of course, in in all of this as well, there's this whole thing of um, Tom Riddle, right? The way that diary is kind of portrayed and the way, like, Tom Riddle kind of, like, presents this fake, um, fake mask, right? This sort of, this fake persona to Harry um, to basically sort of deceive him. And all, you know, like, linked to this as well is, like, all those people on that, on sort of Voldemort's side, right? You have, like, Lucius Malfoy, who is super well-respected, but in all of his interactions, shows himself to be, you know, cruel and um, un- cruel, unpleasant, unkind, all of those sorts of things, right? So, like, on the review, I'm like, actually, this is a, a really, really solid film that, like, thematically is built up, like, you know, it's like the onions, it's like the onion, right? Like, there's various layers to this film, and, you know, you, you see it through the character, you kind of see it through the through the story as well. Like, I think that central theme is really um, powerful and, like, yeah, I, I, I really, I really enjoyed it as a result this time, right? Like, I, there were things that I didn't pick up around that that I, I picked up this time that made me um, enjoy this film a lot more. Um, I, I think the other thing that kind of worked for me as well is, and, look, uh, well, it did and it didn't, right? There's, there's a part of me that is like, um, the whole murder mystery, right? At the, well, it's not a murder mystery, but you know, like who's opened the Chamber of Secrets, all the, all of this type of stuff, right? Like, 
it for me it kind of came out a little bit out of left field that Ginny was the one walking around with the diary. Me too. Yeah. It, is was that just, so you because they didn't really leave hints around that many <laughs> hints around. The first time I watched it, I was like, oh, why would it? That's just so freaking weird. Like, why is it Ginny? Like, we barely know Ginny. Like, you know when you have a whodunit? It needs to be someone you don't suspect. But if it's someone who's barely in the show, it's a real letdown. Like, you want it to be someone you don't suspect who is a main part of the show. So you're like, no, I'd never have thought it. And I feel so betrayed. Like, I didn't think you would do something like that. If it's just just like some side character, which Ginny is. (laughs) It's not very satisfying. But, you know, in terms of whether it um, it it was sort of established or not you know i did point out to gerald when um lucius um puts is it lucius Lucius puts the book in the cauldron and gerald's like no she already had that book and i was like no no (laughs) (laughs) but you would only notice that on a rewatch you would never like you know you probably wouldn't realize anything suspicious had happened on an initial watch yeah yeah. Look, yeah. So, look, I my view of that was that like I I did I didn't even pick that up on the second watch. I'll be honest, I didn't even pick it up on the second watch. But like, um, I I remember the first time I watched it, it did it was a bit weird that it was like Ginny Weasley who had opened it up because it was kind of like, well, you didn't really spend that much time with Ginny Weasley throughout the year, right? Um, but. I think, like, and I was talking to Mags about this, like, I remember when I was reading the book, so maybe this is a book thing over the movie, because I think it's kind of established better in the book why Ginny Weasley would get so drawn in to the diary, right? Like, you know, on some level you're kind of like, well, I mean, why would she get so mesmerized by this by this random this diary that's that's there right and yes it's the powerful magic and all this type of stuff but i think it's kind of like established that i mean the reason why Ginny sort of becomes so entranced by the book is not just because of the powerful magic but because like she feels kind of out of place at hogwarts it's her first time there she doesn't really have that many friends at that point and so she kind of clings on to this thing, right? Because it's something that she can feel like she's a part of, right? This book is directly speaking to her, essentially, right? So it's kind of like, oh, she she clings on to that. And for me, like, when you think about that, the, the, like, it makes more sense when you think about it in that way, because I, I think all of us at some point in our lives when we were younger have kind of, like, sort of done things to kind of feel included, right? To feel like you're part of something, right? Especially if, you know, you feel, you don't necessarily feel 100% um, aligned or like in in the crowd necessarily, right? So, yeah, like, I, I mean, look, and this, this, this is kind of informed by reading the book as well, right? But I, I think why Ginny kind of gets enamored by the book, I think really does make sense here, right? But the way Ginny was integrated into the murder mystery of this film doesn't quite work for me. Yeah. I, I'm the only one here who hasn't read the, the, the book. So... I haven't read the book. I've only, I've only listened to a very detailed podcast right, right, about right. the book. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, 
riddle me this, no pun intended. Um, is Moaning Myrtle as weirdly flirty in the books? <laughs> like she's so weirdly and inappropriately flirty. She's like fully sexual harassing him. Yeah. She's like, yeah. yeah. She's got that. She's got that really high coquettish voice, and she's super flirty. And you're like, what is going on? And then every time she speaks, and she looks at him, it's like this girl is harassing this guy, right? She is just mentally undressing everyone she speaks to. Yeah, like, that happens in the one with Pattinson as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough with Pattinson, I suppose, but like. But like, you're like, when Ron and 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 Harry turn up at the uh, at the girls' bathroom, and uh, and Moaning Myrtle is just, yeah, just basically, basically saying, "Come hither with bedroom eyes." You're like, what's wrong what with that, is... No, but you're like, you're like, no, no, no. But is she like this? It's, or is this just a performance thing? Because it's what it is. One of the most bizarre. One of the most bizarre parts. I like of it though. Oh, no, it's like, she's it's like, a massive like. creeper. She's like a massive creeper. <laughs> I love it. I just think it adds to her character. I love her character. <laughs> um, I won't lie, Max. Do you remember? I do not remember Moaning Myrtle being as... Look, I, look, I, I read the books ages and ages ago. And actually, one of the um, outcomes of us re-watching these movies is that Max actually bought all the books. <laughs> So, so I'll probably be rereading them sometime soon, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the Gryffindor colour range. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll I'll pay attention to that. Whether Moaning Myrtle is as much of like a creep <laughs> in like, the books. Is that, is that the real reason why she's called Moaning Myrtle? Like, Jerry, <laughs> oh, no, Jerry. Oh no! Oh, the gutter, the gutter. <laughs> This is still PG. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, it, it, that's it, it's kind of odd. It, it would be an odd choice, or maybe the actress just <laughs> chose like, to play it. Well, I don't know. If the actress decided to play it that way, like bold, bold choice, strong choice, uh, a choice, right? Yeah, like, definitely a choice. Nothing. There's nothing inadvertent about the way she's, uh, she's played Moaning Myrtle. Like, uh, it is far and away the most striking note. Jordan, do you not remember high school? Everyone had crushes. Yeah, crushes like, was a big part I'm of Sorry, I went to an all-boys high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but yeah, she, she comes on very strong, yes. Um, okay, something else that I noticed about this film. So, okay, so there's definitely CG in this film, right? Was the snake at the end partially mm-hmm. real, though? Yeah, so, I think there were there were some partial practical like a effects. Yeah, there. yeah, there was partial practical effects there. Because um, I, I, there were there were moments when I was like, this snake does not look consistent, right? There were moments <laughs> when you see the whole snake moving, you're like, okay, so that's CG for sure. And then there were like these close up scenes of the snake when Harry's trying to like fight the snake with the sword, which I think is actually a pretty ridiculous scene. You have a little boy with yeah, a sword fighting. Right I know. It's <laughs> yeah. Really um, but yeah, like, there were a few close-up scenes. There were like, is that like, did they use a puppet for that? It felt 
different, right? I, 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 I was, I was just going to ask everybody whether they, they noticed that or not. No. If if there was CG there, and I'm, I don't doubt for a second that there was, it was actually pretty well integrated into the scene. Um, and I think that the, the use of CG in this movie was significantly better than in the first one. Like, Fluffy the three-headed dog in the first movie was so fake. He was basically... He was basically like a cartoon character. He was that fake. It was Whereas, twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, but like, you know, sort of. It was still, it was twenty years ago, but post Lord of the Rings. Mm. So, like, there had been quite significant advancements mm. in um, yeah, computer Fluffy generated. Was more fake. Yeah, Fluffy was completely fake. Whereas I think there was more, there was more texture to the basilisk um, in this movie. So I think, um, and. I, I just, I just as a, just in a, as an aside, I, I know I've I've praised the the set design in this movie already, but I think the actual Chamber of Secrets itself looked pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Speaking of special effects and monsters, what did you guys think of Aragog? The spawn. Uh, yeah. yeah. I thought it was pretty lame that. Look, I mean, from a character perspective, I thought it was kind of lame that he tried to eat the kids, but. <laughs> from a character because you don't expect it you think they're going to be safe because Hagrid has sent them in there and then Aragog's like no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess it makes sense because Hagrid is a terrible judge of character right yeah. like he, he's yeah. shown to be a very kind trusting man but like yes. terrible judge of character <laughs> yes. and is this is this the movie where where Filch has the most lines oh He's got so few lines that, yeah, I suppose because his cat is in danger in this yeah. film, so yeah. But I, I enjoyed that in this film, that Filch was more than just this, like, that they gave him a little they bit gave more. Him a relationship. With Correct, his cat. right? Like, it, he's not just this, like, grumpy, no. like, groundskeeper, right? Like, he genuinely loves his cat, right? And he, he like. And you feel for him when his cat is, like, potentially dead. Yeah. yeah. I, I find it actually very hard to feel for Filch simply because <laughs> he was Walter Frey, so... Um... <laughs> no, but with Filch, you kind of learn with his character as well as the films go on that, like, his family was magical. His story is actually really sad because he's, like, he's, he's, he, he came from, like, pure-blood wizard in inverted... Like, you know, pure-blood wizard parents, but... He had no magical ability. And so, yeah. basically, the only way he can feel like he's part of this magical world is by being the janitor at Hogwarts, right? Like, it's actually kind of sad. <laughs> like, he's kind of this... Like, if you really think about it, he's actually quite a lonely character. But yes, he is also World of Frey, so... <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, okay. Is there anything else we want to chat about in terms of... Harry Potter and this Chamber of Secrets. Hmm. Oh, one one thing I did want to want to raise is is this the first and only time we see um, Hermione being incompetent when she accidentally turns into a cat? Yeah, it's not her fault. <laughs> <laughs> Accidents happen. Um, is, is this whole one and only screw up as, as a witch? She brewed a very difficult potion correctly. <laughs> yeah, but she was the one who picked the cat hairs off the robe. So <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't know. 
I'm sure it's she's different. You know, like brown strands. Who knows? I know it's tough. It's hard to. Tell. Yeah, but like you know how she is. She's, you know, the the most gifted of them all as a as as a student and a witch and everything. Uh, and no one's perfect. No, yeah, but <laughs> is this whole one and only screw up in the in this in these movies? Not sure. We can look out for future screw ups and see if this will go down as we, the only one. We know in the next movie her super competence saves the day. It, it's it's actually absolutely pivotal that she is as competent as she is because. Oh, the um, next the next film was the Back to the Future film, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's the anyway. and she's the she's the one who pulls that off. Yeah. Uh, well, Whereas, look. Why don't Why don't we start now, Hermione? Stuff up and every possible stuff up she has. We're gonna we'll just include it, <laughs> excluding Emma Watson's acting. <laughs> but like every character screw up will be on her case. She chooses one. Yeah, that that's a screw up. <laughs> that is that is a screw up. Um. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anything else, guys? Uh, Percy Weasley. Is this uh, is this the last time we see him? In the movies? I think it might be. Which one is Percy? Yeah, Percy there you go. The <laughs> in the books, he actually kind of turns on his family and he joins the ministry. He does eventually come back to the good side, but, like, he kind of goes to the bad. He goes to the dark side. He's the oldest of the Weasleys, so he's the... He works for the Ministry of Magic. In is the he book. the one who raises the dragons in... No, that's Fred. Oh, that's Fred. I think Percy does appear in later films, doesn't he? That's what like, I'm as thinking. part of the Ministry, like contingent. I don't know. Possibly. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 check it out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he's the one who is like, I'm gonna be like really down the line and you know work with the Ministry and that sort of thing, right? And when he's found, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's a, he's a school prefect in this one. Yes. Yes. He's already showing that authoritarian streak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I think we all gen- generally enjoyed it. Um, I-, I definitely got more out of it on this viewing than I did in the past. So, yeah, Harry Potter continues to be a strong movie series. Um, we'll be back soon with something else. We'll definitely be back at some point with Prisoner of Azkaban which I believe is the next Harry Potter film. Um, We might watch something in between, but we're not sure. But um, we'll see everybody soon, I guess. Um, Say goodnight, everyone. Night. Bye. Bye.